Hi, everybody. I have Stephen Ross with us today of the World Research Foundation. And if you've watched Gaia and Conscious Media Network before, you've seen me interview Stephen, who's just a bright sparkle on this planet on a lot of levels and a very, very knowledgeable human being and alchemist. Um, he possesses gifts that well, I think most of us would aspire to. And as he tells, he will tell us, anybody can aspire to these things. However, one of the paths toward all of it is beauty. And this is something that has been much overlooked in society as of late. In fact, the word that comes up over and over is people think that society is beginning to feel uglier and uglier. And so it's up to each one of us to recover the tenets of what true beauty is and its function and role in our lives, in our creativity, even in our own healing processes. So I'd like to bring Stephen on with me. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Regina. It's happy to be with you today. And we're going to be talking about the room behind you because as you told us before, and I've been in this room many times, it was a room of beauty based on the Renaissance understanding of how you created a beautiful space and you invited more beauty into it and shared it with others. And I just love that space you're in. And we're going to talk about that space in a moment. And we're going, I'm going to share a little bit about my own space too. But before we even begin on that, I would love for you to give us kind of an opening statement on the absolute human necessity for beauty. Beauty is very much misunderstood throughout the centuries. I'm going to go back even to antiquity. Beauty was discussed, but we're all familiar with the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And there is a lot of truth to that. However, if you look at the essence behind it, there is something that underlies why people feel something is beautiful. Now, the ancient Greeks felt beauty was one of the most important necessities for the unfoldment and perfection of the soul. So everything that they did surrounded the beautiful. As an idea, they didn't want irregular shapes. Buildings had to be a particular form. The music that was played, actually the colors. Now, we might look today and say, boy, they were very fanatical but there was a very, very important reason because the underlying philosophy was beauty is inherent in our natures and we are here to strive to reach the beautiful. So beauty really was very, very important. And even though different cultures looked at something slightly different as being beautiful, again, rhythm, Form, harmony is some of the matrix behind beauty. Absolutely, Stephen. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think if you even take it into the human form, into the, and say, say, let's say the human energy field, we're going to get really esoteric for a moment. Right. You see things and you see people's auras. And um, when you look at a person who is living their life in a state of harmony, they're bringing as much love, laughter, leffel as you like to call it, hmm. into their lives where they're bringing a state of harmony in through their surroundings, through their relationships, friendships, and so forth. You'll see a, a manifestation in the aura that is really quite beautiful, even symmetrical, where when we're in a state of disharmony, dissonance, um, anger, fear, 
even our own auras turn into something irregular, asymmetrical, dissonant, the colors start dulling. So let's talk about beauty just from an auric perspective so we get how beauty is literally impacting us. Well, I love the word you chose, harmony, because within each of us, there is something that makes us feel harmonious, makes us feel happy, gives us pleasure. And that is going to vary from person to person. However, that harmony is a key. And again, the way that you, you voiced it, I, I like that very much because I think on our last show I discussed this. You can take the most hardened criminal, and this person is set in nature. And this person looks, especially in our area here in Sedona with the red rocks and the mountain formations, very rarely, even the most hardened person will say, oh, that's horrible, I don't like it. There is something that touches that person, no matter what their personality is like, it touches the core of their being because there is something in harmony with their deeper self. So when we're talking about auric fields and color, It is very, very important because, yes, color from the outside can stimulate us, but you can never recognize beauty outwardly if you don't have it within. And therefore, my example of a a very hardened person, there is beauty within that person in the deeper aspects. And it is nature, it is art, it may be music that awakens that inside the person so beauty is is harmony is balance discord comes when somebody is out of harmony out of relationship with with the good the ancients used the phrase the one the beautiful and the good that comes back thousands of years from the ancient greek beauty is one of the cornerstones of the soul's nature and what we look here on earth to, again, have that unfold or unflower within our physical selves. And it doesn't have to do with monetary or social privilege. I'm thinking just, it's passing through my mind right now, every now and then you'll drive through an area in a city or uh, a suburb um, that is would be considered uh, economically disadvantaged. Right. Oftentimes, you'll see things like dead lawns and stuff lying around in the yard and chain link fences and that you can't find beauty looking at that. And then you'll come to a home right in the midst of it that has a beautiful little garden and it has fresh paint and it has little curtains in the window and it's a place your eye just immediately seeks that and notices the beauty in it. And the spirit of the person that may not have a lot of money or may be there for whatever reason, and I find that is not a factor in this. It is simply a commitment to having your this kind of, as you say, harmony, symmetry, color, light, nature in your life. And I just love seeing that in a neighborhood that really, where people are really struggling, where a person still finds this in themselves. And, and uh, again, the ancient tenet was, if you surround yourself with beauty, if you act in beauty, you become beautiful. 
And that, again, was a very, very important tenet. So in the ancient times, even the way somebody walked, uh, their mannerisms, the way they held their, their body, all of this made somebody more beautiful. But again, beauty is very relative because I could say, I can give you this example. Perhaps a person who's a thief would look at a pile of money they just robbed and think it's beautiful. And right. in reality for them, it is beautiful. However, beauty can go in, in increments. The ultimate beauty, the archetypical beauty, is the unfolding of the highest growth that a nature or being can arrive at. Yes. So again, when we say it's in the eye of the beholder, it, it's there. So beauty is, is so much a part of us that we, we really cannot escape it. But you started with an opening comment, and I want to get back to that, and that is in society now, we're, we're going very, very far afield from beauty. We just are not as concerned with beauty as we are with, with power or control. Yes. And I'm afraid um, it just appears that the whole society is, I'm not going to use the word going back, backwards, but we, we have lost our way of, of what is truly important. When you hear schools have eliminated uh, the music, the art, uh, this is really very detrimental to any society. When a society forgets beauty, Regina, then it is on a downward spiral uh, far afield from where it needs to be. Absolutely. This is the vibratory refinement of the society. And it comes down to things as simple as even how we choose to use our voices. Um, I had a ballet teacher who was a mentor of mine in life, who was a, a Russian woman who had to um, escape during the Bolshevik Revolution to France. And she talked about American women and the shrill tone of the American voice, where women have this high throaty. And um, then, of course, she went on further um, demonstrating her disdain by pretending to chew gum, but <laughs> she, she had an attitude. <laughs> right. But the thing is, there is something to be said for the, the simplest ways in which we can choose to engage with the frequency of life. And voice is very much like music. There are sounds that we find harmonious and uh, beautiful, and there are sounds that are very shrill and difficult and jangle our nervous systems. So really, this is something that comes down to the essence of who we are. Like you say, the way we walk, the way we speak, the tone of our own voices, all of these things are tools that can be used as a part of our own refining process or our own degeneration. And this goes in mass, too. Yes. And again, going back to the school of Pythagoras in 550 BC, where he went as far as, again, not only the way a person walked or talked, even in the way that they laughed, uh, he would listen to the sound of how they laughed, the nature of how they laughed. All of that bespeaks of what is going, what's going on inside an individual. Again, the outside really truly does mirror what is taking place on the inside. 
Um, when we talk about beauty, for me personally, it is so aligned with love that I really can't separate it because when we see something beautiful, we actually love it. If you really think about it, we, we love what we're seeing. We love what we're hearing. We love what we're feeling because that beauty and love and love and beauty are, are very much intertwined. Yes, and I'm going to share a little story. Uh, recently, I had to, as you know, move away from my beautiful home in Sedona, which had a lot of the same features your home has. It has a lot of the features of uh, Rudolf Steiner and the whole Waldorf movement, anthroposophy, and this has to do with rounded spaces. There's something very inviting about spherical living on many dimensions, and um, I had moved, and some of the viewers know this, I had moved away from this house in Sedona uh, one time before, back in 2007, and I left all the furniture there because it was purchased for that space. And I think you know the room I'm speaking about with the two white curved sofas, right? And <clears throat> I, when I, I later, six years later, bought the same house back was hoping my furniture was still there, especially those, and they were there. And this time, when I sold the house for the second time and moved, the only thing that really helped me bridge the leaving of Sedona to back to California on an emotional level were those two sofas and a rug. And I made sure to bring them with me. And I thought, why was it so important? I could dream my way into my new life as long as those two sofas and this one rug came with me. And they did arrive. I set them up. And the reality had to do more with the space that was created to be shared with others. And this is why I want to bring this up as a prelude to your creating your room of beauty and some of what has happened there. It set a space, a spherical space of this kind of grace where people can come and sit together and literally in this cup rounded form speak to each other eye to eye across the room. And anyone watching this who's been to one of my workshops knows what these sofas are like in this intimate environment. So it's a setting of something rounded and spherical where energy moves and beauty is pervasive to share with others so they can have their own experience here. So without a further ado, let's talk about your room of beauty and some of the incredible things you've offered others there. Well, the Room of Beauty started for me when I was flying back from my office in Stuttgart, Germany, and it was a 10 and a half hour flight, and um, I, I, I really can never sleep. And I kind of had a daydream, and I saw a vision of this room that I eventually ended up building. And I kept hearing, you must remind people of beauty. There's beauty in the world. There's love in the world. And I thought I was going dingy. <laughs> because I've been flying about seven hours. And then it, it, all of a sudden I saw the picture. I saw it exactly. I saw it with the balcony. I saw it with paintings of the great masters and, and books. And I realized that it was something I needed to do. Uh, several months later, we had 9-11 with the tragedy and the heartache. And then I realized why I was being egged on by my spiritual entities around that wanted me to create what is called a studio low. And the studio low was really first introduced during the Renaissance era. 
The greatest studio low was put together by Isabel d'Esti in Italy. The premise of it is to immerse yourself in the beautiful. And Isabel d'Esti had the most beautiful furniture, the most beautiful musical instruments, the most beautiful books and poems and paintings, everything to remind individuals of beauty and the importance of beauty. And so the studio load that we created here in Sedona is, is much the same. And I, I can tell you, and you've witnessed this yourself, the second people cross the threshold into this room, nobody has ever taken more steps. They, they stop immediately. They start looking around. Their comments may have been different, but the reaction is basically the same. They know they have entered a space that is touching them on many, many different levels. And I started playing music during the teardown of my patio and the construction of the studio low. And the music played continuously 24 hours a day for the first seven years of its existence. And people way after that period who have been to this room and actually slept here overnight, friends said, was there music playing? Well, the music stopped many years ago, but <laughs> the, the music is resonating and vibrating throughout. We've never discussed politics in, in this room. Um, music has been played. Operas, the Arizona Opera in Phoenix gave performances here. There have been singers from the New York Met. Everything to impress vibrations of beauty. And people feel it. They immediately feel relaxed. I've had people cry, but as they told me, it's tears of happiness. Tears of yes. happiness. So... People can feel it. It makes a difference. It is a beautiful space. And I attended, um, I've been in the room many times just to the library and just visiting with you, but also attended one of your operas there. And the acoustics are perfect. Again, it has. it's this rounded space with this domed uh, ceiling. It's just absolutely exquisite. And um, now you have the World Research Foundation Library, as we can see behind you in this big, people are getting a feeling for it, but we're also showing them other images as well here. Right. Get a feeling for um, the library that you have collected, and you have an amazing library. And of course, we've done other interviews on uh, some of the subject matter contained within those walls. Um, you are a huge devotee of Goethe, uh, of also Paracelsus, and many, many other uh, well-known philosophers, um, healers, uh, doctors of their day. And right. you have these books in there that are also emanating the wisdom from their pages. You don't have to be reading the book even to have a sense that something profoundly wise and beautiful is happening in that room. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the experiences people have had. I love to just go like this along the library wall and have a, a book speak to my hand. Let's talk about that for a moment, the wisdom that's embedded in this beautiful space. Well, we know that vibrations go on forever and they can permeate a, an environment 
they can go into the cosmos. Nothing is more durable than a thought. It, it, it really can go on forever. And within these rooms, you're right, with the busts and the different uh, philosophers, there, there is an energy. And people of various religions, uh, philosophies, they've had their favorites, will come in and more times than not, they will actually start looking in the direction, believe it or not, of the area where there is a collection of their favorite revelator or teacher or artist or philosopher, and they'll say, what's, what's over there in that direction? And I will gently smile because obviously I know virtually every inch of this library. And I'll say, oh, that is the area of Sufism, or that is the area of Ralph Waldo Emerson, or this is where the poetry or mythology is. The energies are very, very profound. But I want to digress for one second and then continue and say, even though we're going throughout this library, which is a pretty good size, the studio low, I encourage people to have something of beauty whether it is a book or your favorite chair or your favorite statue next to you. So that while you and I are discussing this, people don't go, oh my gosh, how do I create something like this? No, you provide a space, a place for beauty. Um, the great philosopher Manley Hall uh, wrote a very interesting article talking about beauty, and he mentioned that at a time, he spent an outlandishly amount of money to get a particular book that he didn't even understand and couldn't read the language. But he knew that the vibrations, Regina, the energy coming out of the pages, the wisdom as opposed to just knowledge, he knew was so profound that he created a favorite place originally where that book was there and he could retire. And so for all the listeners out there, you start with a space, you start with a place, and as you immerse yourself in your own beauty, and you enliven this beauty by having something close to you, it will then start permeating out into the room that you're in, into your home, you will start carrying it with you, because once you touch beauty, that beauty touches you, and it is a part of you. So I, I wanted to digress because, yes, this room is very dramatic and uh, with the balcony and the upstairs. and It's spectacular. It could be intimidating to people thinking, well, I can't create that. I don't have, right. I don't have the resources. But I'm going, to, I'm going to do a knock-on comment from what you said a little later on in this conversation. I agree with you 100%. Beauty can be created on a dime or with nothing anywhere. Exactly. And uh, this room, we have paintings of the old masters. Um, I took, believe it or not, two inch by two inch pictures out of art books and expanded them to seven feet, yes. put them on artist parchment. And they are so dramatic and didn't lose any of their clarity. <laughs> and I must share a story. And that is that during one of the operas, uh, a couple, she was 99 and her husband was 98. 
And after virtually all the people had left, we had 160 people in this room for the opera. She came up to me, she tapped on my shoulder and she says, you know, I saw a picture just like yours in the Vatican. And I said, <laughs> I think my picture is like theirs. She said, maybe this was the original. So uh, it made an impression and wherever people were looking. Now, I built this room because of the setbacks. We happen to live off of a golf course. The room has to be or the building has to be X feet off the golf course, X feet off your neighbor. So I built it. And what happens? The acoustics ended up perfect. People have said to me, I'm an acoustics expert. How did you do this? And I thought, hmm, the setbacks did it because the dimensions worked out perfectly. I believe in spiritual guidance. I was guided on the, the flight back, guided during its construction, and it's worked out because it, it has been a bastion of beauty. Despite whatever goes on the outside world, it is a place where people can recharge. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes people cry, sometimes people just are smiling, but everybody feels something and and that was the intent of this room you hit the mark um i'm going to add something of an esoteric nature as you were just saying you listen to your guidance and i'd like to share something that came from my guidance uh many years ago and it had to do with creating space in which you could have more harmonious um interaction with your guides these 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 are for these particular guides who chose to be interfaced with in this way. But it's interesting because it gets back to a theme we've just spoken about. Yes. And that has to do with cylindrical space, rounded space. And what they would have us do is prepare the room we were meditating in before trying to connect with them. And the, one of the primary features of this preparation was to in our mind's eye together collectively see the room in a spherical shape with the energy moving in this case counterclockwise counterclockwise charges the environment it charges the and everyone's different on this because some of us are wired forward and some are wired backward but in this case having the energy in this cylindrical space that we've created in our minds moving counterclockwise around us and we were to infuse it with a beautiful violet light that had little uh, kind of shot with little prana-like uh, gold sparks. And so imagining that in your mind's eye, just closing your eyes and alone or with other people, creating this space, a definite feeling and energy and refinement of the space was set into motion to be able to very easily reach into and meet with these other beings because it provided the kind of frequencies and refined frequencies they needed to be able to reach into us as well. This isn't just for us. It's for, right. it's multidimensional and in, in nature. And so right. when I moved to Sedona and as you recall, when you enter the house was a temple, basically this right. beautiful bagua with a domed ceiling. It was, ah, I don't have to make it in my mind anymore. The space is here now. So, any comments on that? 
working uh, with the divine and, and other entities and other beings through this refined space. How do I embellish when you've said it perfectly? <laughs> your, <laughs> your example is perfect. That that space and vibration is, is so very, very important. And um, again, people have their own ideas of, of why we're down here, why life on earth exists. I happen to believe that it is a schoolroom and it is here for us to demonstrate how we're going to use creative energies. We are in the likeness of the creator, not in our physical form, but in our ability to create. And within these physical conveyances, these garments, male, female, different colors, different nationalities, there is a deeper essence. There is a greater part of ourselves, which is the beautiful. And one aspect that I believe we are down here to do <clears throat> is to understand what this deeper nature is, to exhibit this deeper nature while we are here in this physical plane. This is a plane of experiences. This is a plane where we have opportunities to really expand. And when we're talking about beauty, the allowance, the space that you're talking about, not only brings these higher dimensional spiritual entities, and conversely, less energetic spiritual entities are attracted to atmospheres and environments that are not of the highest and best. I'm not going to use the word evil. I don't believe personally in evil. I believe that uh, the things that we classify as bad or ugly is human beings misunderstanding who we are and how they're using this creative energy. Mm -hmm. When we have beautiful spaces, when we start unfolding and allowing our true inner nature, which is beautiful, to shine out, it is caused by taking the right steps by and and here is something I know I'm I'm stopping my my sentence here, but someone must ask themselves: With each step you take during the day, are you planting flowers or are you creating swales? Are you empowering or are you making it more difficult for other people? Are you encouraging or are you hampering? These are indications of how aligned we are with the beautiful because the beautiful, we, we could go on for hours. If you look at the archetype, the great founts of energy, and there is a font of, of, of beauty and love, those fields are with us, Regina, all the time. They permeate us. But if we have our shell, if we have our umbrella up, and we don't want to resonate or listen, that's our choice. But for those of us who believe in the beautiful, who walk in beauty, who talk in beauty, who share in beauty, we can see beauty in virtually everything. And aspects that we thought weren't so beautiful, as you unfold from within, you go, wow. That is really beautiful because you understand more of the workings. You can see the light. So my comment, your space, you are attracting the highest and best by what you put out 
what we surround ourselves with. And that is my admonition all through the day. May I, may I talk at the highest and best that I possibly can, work, interact. Even when I do healing work with people, I ask that the highest and best manifest at that time. You do. You walk your talk, Stephen. I've never seen you inconsistent with that. And, you know, this whole notion of being able to find the beautiful in the challenging and the apparently ugly, that's something that Zeus, my husband, is really beautiful at. He can look at something where I'm, I will flinch from it and try to recoil, and or I will recoil, and he'll be able to kind of dive into it and see what the possibility is in there. And that has to do with the human condition itself. So this, again, this is a multidimensional conversation. It's emotional, mental, spiritual, and multidimensional in nature. And one of the things I wanted to bring up that I just loved was in the Anastasia series of books. One of the books, one of the later books, it was either, you know, book seven, eight, somewhere in there. It talked about uh, a vision that she was, she was explained, that was explained in the books um, about a prison system that took people who were already living in such, such incredible challenge and um, internal, we could say not beauty, (laughs) internal darkness on a lot of levels. And what the book demonstrated was by these prisons are normally put on inexpensive, cheap tracts of land and they have them stacked up, the buildings stacked up all this land that's not being used with high barbed wire fences. And in her model, she used the space so that each cell had a small extension with natural sunlight coming in where each prisoner was responsible to plant their own little garden. And it went into an actual economic model even where um, their produce, they created more produce than the prison needed and the produce was then sold um, commercially outside of the prison walls. But the point being that this transformation that she was showing was possible within people by simply being given something that they could creatively invest in and grow and nourish themselves with, to me, it was one of the most beautiful models of what could happen in the prison system, for example. Yes, because if, if we follow through with what you and I have been discussing, if you have a prison environment, that by its sheer nature, by everything, thankfully I haven't personally experienced it, but everything that we see, how would you expect um, anybody to change or things to become different when the environment is as it is? It isn't that you need to create a country club, but there needs to be some empowering of, of individuals. But I'm going to segue us a little bit back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is society and the arts and aesthetics seeming to appear less and less uh, within our society. Yes. Uh, the music is radically changed. The, the situation comedies, the, the live dramas where people know that a camera's on them, um, very few of those are emanating beauty. We, we are watching um, a, a tremendous amount of negativity, of power, of, of people trying to get an upper hand on other people. Um, there is free choice, obviously. There is free will. But I, I would add that 
these kind of environments where the art and the mediums that surround us have so drastically changed, it's a real challenge now, which is more imperative that you, one does come back and immerse themselves in their, in their own beauty as much as they can. And to start looking at what is taking place, every two minutes it's breaking news about something and it's not positive and it's not beautiful. And people are almost hypnotized into um, buying into what's going on. And my message for the rest of my life is going to remind people, don't overlook and forget to go within, to go up, to recognize that there is more going on than just the obvious, what appears to be negativity. And again, you mentioned something about Zeus looking. Even in some of these very detrimental appearing activities, one can almost sense and see there is a reason that some of these are taking place because yes. they allow individuals to make a choice of what is really important in their life. And so then I can look and say, yes, that was a lesson experience which afforded a choice. So can you say that that's bad or negative? Individuals are playing their parts. I believe that they signed up for this well before they came to this earth plane. Yes. And the deeper we can look at and feel from our heart what is intended, I believe then we're going to be resonating inwardly. There's too much knee-jerking, in my humble opinion, Regina, of immediately reacting as opposed to saying, okay, what is the higher way to go here? And if vibrations do go on forever, even my little vibration sent out in love is going to have an effect somewhere. Indeed, it's healing by nature. And that's something we brought about, I, I mentioned at the very top of the conversation, and I wanted to go into just a little bit more because you use frequencies for healing when you're working with your clients. And one of them that you and I both have, of course, a great fondness of is color and light. And right. uh, that's, I mean, we, uh, if anyone has listened to any of our past interviews, they know that you and I were chasing the same characters around Europe in the mid-1980s um, and ran into the same players, same people that gave us wonderful perspectives and stories back then. And um, one of the things, one of the places I ran into was the uh, Wegemann Clinic, which was an extension of my time with the, at the Waldorf School in Dornoch, Switzerland, where, of course, Beauty, symmetry, roundedness, music, color, light, healing are all part of the Waldorf or anthroposophical uh, basis for the Waldorf system. Um, again, vis-a-vis -vis Rudolf Steiner and his right. great channeled works. And in the Wegemann Clinic, I, it was, I did a little story on it back 30 years, a little over 30 years ago now. And it was showing that each room looked out onto a garden. Each room, each person, and it was cancer mostly, each person was required to create artistic pieces. Um, they listened to beautiful music. The food was whole and colorful. 
um, they went into a chamber which you you remember and will particularly appreciate, and then I'm handing it over to you, which was a, a color therapy room where you sat in this white room in a chair and you were simply surrounded by changing color. The walls would illuminate a brilliant scarlet red and then move through the spectrum. And these had very deep healing influences um, on the patients that were there, the clients or the patients that were there. It was a stunning environment for healing. And I don't, I really thought that model would have taken off a lot more than it has. But of course, function institutional thinking has won instead, you know, profits for the insurance companies, et cetera. It's really, you know, that part's dark. That part of the story is dark. But I'd like you to go ahead and riff on that with your own healing work as well. Well, I first became interested in color when um, actually the same night that I had a dream or vision about the World Research Foundation. And in that particular vision, I saw a world map with blinking lights and felt there should be a worldwide network gathering health information. And eventually... I would meet my co-founder and and we would set that up. But that same evening, I had a dream about color and how color could heal or assist people in healing. Now, this dream took place in 1979. I remember sharing it with my folks and my dad, who was a Scorpio engineer at Lockheed, Color, how are you ever going to find out what color works for what <laughs> and if it's really great? And, and I just felt it, there was something there. And lo and behold, uh, not too soon after that, I came across Dinshaw Gadiali and the Spectrochrome system and his marvelous work um, where thousands and thousands of people have been healed and his perfectly aligned 12 color system where the colors were used for more than 350 diseases and illnesses. Now, when I came across that, I remember going to my dad and said, Dad, I had a lot of time saved because here's an entire system that was laid out. And upon doing more research, here's Pythagoras talking about color therapy in in 520 BC. And color has been a part of, of healing and spiritual development, and let's also say spiritual unfoldment based on colors throughout history. I have worked with, I don't know, maybe 700, 800 people, animals with color therapy. But the most striking point for me was in 1984, my mom and dad, we all lived in Los Angeles, came to Sedona. They found a house that they thought they would purchase. My dad felt back spasms, went back to Southern California. He was admitted to the hospital with severe pain. They ended up doing a test. He ended up with an infection from the hospital. And my father was left as a quadriplegic. Well, the hospital said they had nothing else but quadriplegic training. But I went into the hospital with the spectrochrome system of Dinshaw Gadali, and we used the color twice a day on my father. And six weeks later, he walked out of Kaiser Permanente 
hospital. Love it. And the day before we walked out, because as you remember back in those early 80s, you couldn't even get your own hospital records. Right. My mom said to one of the nurses, oh, my gosh, everybody says my husband's a miracle. Could we look at the hospital records again? And I know I've got karma, but I accidentally walked home with those records. <laughs> and in those records, the final dispensation is uh, quadriplegic, a neurogenic bladder, and at the very bottom, it said, the patient has made a remarkable recovery from complete quadriplegia. That was from the doctors, a remarkable recovery. So for my father, it was interesting because we were able to help him. And so you and I do have this tremendous interest in color. But my dad's therapy, when we figured it out, was 10 cents a day for six weeks, there's not a lot of, of money, but it's a colorful approach. It <laughs> does work. There's science behind it. And for anybody of more the scientific bent, I, I would just add this. What is used when children have infant liver syndrome, yellow jaundice, bilirubin, they're put, on, put under a blue light, and those who aren't pass away. The ones who are survive. I call that color therapy. It's it's fabulous. It is, Stephen. And this is something that's happening moment in and moment out in our lives. I mean, even to the extent where, and I'll, I'll just toss this in, as you said earlier in our conversation, you can surround yourself with these elements anytime you want. As you say, just choose a chair that you love and find comfortable and beautiful. And I, ever since I was basically a kid on my own, I, I left home at 18, 19 years old, um, one thing that's always mattered to me is this no, this whole notion of beauty and color. Um, it's always mattered my entire life. I think I was born that way. But even if I had if only a few dollars left and I had to choose, I would always take a little bit of money to buy a little bundle of fresh flowers for the table. And there would still be, I don't need a lot. I, I, there would be enough to buy some food. <laughs> right. <laughs> to this day, when if I'm going to the store and it's you know that time in the week to buy some more flowers for the house, um, I can tell what kind of space I'm in psychologically and emotionally, mentally, just by looking at which colors I'm drawn to. One week I want bright yellows. That's very reflective of how we're feeling inside, and that's where color therapy is good for all. It's kind of fun to be able to look at yourself you know, almost as a totem for what's going on, a weather vane for what's going on inside you. Um, right. Because yesterday, I only wanted lavender and, and purples. And I, we'd just come off a long drive. I had a lot of work ahead. I wanted the peace. I needed to focus. And so these little elements of beauty, of color healing specifically, we can do any time. You do it every time you choose a shirt in the morning. You're right. self, you're self healing by the choices of the colors that you make in your life. So this right. is something that is simple every day and, and pervasive, right? Right. And uh, I, I want to go back to just this last point that you've made. And, and uh, I want to pay you a compliment. The reason you are a great interviewer is you're knowledgeable, you know your subject, and what you brought up with the flowers leads us into this. Nature is provided by the deity, the great spirit, God, the father, mother, 
whatever you choose to allow us to invoke the beautiful throughout nature the garment is there and and when we look whether it's a tree whether it's a flower um, a plant the sky the clouds whatever it is it is there to awaken this beauty within and the reason i complimented you is because you started with the flowers you you allowing us to go in and allowing me to tell people, don't overlook. A lot of people think God's in the temples, God's in the churches, God's here, God's there. No, no. The deity is consistently shining in nature that's all around us. And no matter how bad a situation gets for most people, they will end up going out someplace in nature saying, I, I need to get away. I need to go out and sit. Why? Because that is an aspect that is imprinted within us. It is a part of it. It is part of our greater nature within. We are nature. Nature is us. See, I very cleverly can throw in Paracelsus now because, <laughs> as, as you know, he and both Goethe were very much involved with, with nature in, in the same manner. The forms in nature, the beauty in nature, the repetitive um, angles in nature and spirals in nature are all a part of us. But it is the, the, the color. And even at the stars, I left out the stars at night. Some people just feeling overwhelmed. And then we'll look at the night sky and think, oh, my gosh, there, there is much more here. Nature. If you can't even do the chair, everybody basically can go to some place in nature and align themselves with the beautiful. Stephen, I really miss you. <laughs> now I moved away to California. I don't know when we'll see you again. But it's because you embody all of this. You carry this wisdom with you. And I know that some people are going to want to be able to get in contact with you. Also, I know you're working on a new book, which we're going to do an interview on once your new book is out. And uh, you can either choose to tease us with it or no spoil alert and we'll just wait. It's your choice. Well, I am co-writing a book, and it has to do with dreams, dreams of theophany, and how dreams closely align us with not only the higher energies, but with that God force. And so I am writing a book which is sharing how dreams really can have even more of an impact in our lives. But the intent is, while it's my story, because I've kept dream journals, my gosh, for, for more than 30 years, it is to awaken people that dreams are very, very significant. We don't need any outside guru teacher if, if we don't want to go that route. Dreams connect us. But I am convinced that this dreaming mechanism can function in a lot of different ways. If you fill it up with skiing all day and read books on skiing, you're going to have dreams of skiing but, or, or whatever your interest is. But if you truly listen, 
if you open up the dimensions that exist within dreams that I don't feel has been clearly elaborated, and I am desirous of, of opening this other aspect of dreams, then people have a connection that is with them. That's all I'm going to say. But it Ooh. should be coming out soon. Oh, can't wait. Hey, I was telling Zeus my dream this morning. I'm going to toss this out to you because yeah, maybe it'll come in somewhere. But I have, throughout my lifetime, I dream of animals that don't exist on this plane. There'll be certain characteristics of them that are familiar, but there'll be a different kind of unknown animal. And I've always really, I haven't delved into it. So I've always wondered where these kind of magical beasts, some are silly little beasts, and last night there was this magical, almost like we see representations of unicorns, but without the horn, right. lived underwater alongside these magnificent large-eyed seals. And they had this long, glossy white hair that was, that was luminescent with rainbow colors. Beautiful. And they were filling the waters around, these still waters. So anyway... What does it mean when we dream of animals that don't exist on this plane? That would be my question to you, and you don't have to answer, but maybe we'll come out in your book. <laughs> well, and maybe we can discuss that when it does come out, yeah. because uh, we are multidimensional. You've mentioned it several times, and we are existing on several different planes. Yes. This earth plane is probably more of a dream than what we think our dreams are. Yes. <laughs> dreams you're dreaming. No, this just could be the dreams and the magical, beautiful, real dimension that our inner self. And sometimes I hesitate with the words because some people call it higher self, inner self, God self. It, it matters not the title. What matters is the existence of a deeper true nature, a light, a, a, a light that is within us. And you, especially someone like you, have a foot in many, many worlds, Regina. <laughs> I think you were placed down here to do what you're doing, but there's a greater part of yourself says, I think I like the other part more, but I'm doing what I need <laughs> to do while I'm down here. I think Zeus calls me on that one all the time. <laughs> so where <laughs> are you? <laughs> on that note, Stephen, how can people get hold of you? Is, is WRF.org the best way? Yes. yes. Okay. WRF.org. Um, the phone number is 928-284-3300. Um, I encourage people to always develop their own self. I did mention uh, I'm involved in healing work. I've mentioned many things, but if I am successful in transmitting my message through individuals like you, it is to empower people that there is no greater teacher or guru than your own self. Yes. I am an individual who's going to be January, be 70. I have had my experiences. I have had my pathway. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to be everybody's cheerleader, but I would not expect anybody to follow my pathway or just do the things that I've done. The message is have a, a beautiful mind, an open heart, and a humble spirit, and you will be successful.
Thank you, Regina, so much for this time and the interview. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been, well, it's been a beautiful journey with you once again. And so we'll sign off this time again. You can reach Stephen at WRF, that's for worldresearchfoundation.org, and also the, the phone number he provided you with. So Stephen, go well. Thank you again. It's been absolutely lovely. And I hope I get to see your, your face again one day soon. We will. Take care. Once again, everybody, thank you for joining us here on ReginaMeredith.com.